Welcome to the CMF Podcast, where we discuss all things mentorship and cybersecurity. Welcome, everyone. My name is Mel Kay. I'm a Venture Associate at Cyber Mentor Fund, and we're thrilled to have you all joining our third installment of CMF's Misfit Mentor and Momentum series. Today, we're going to be talking about a common use case that nearly all successful companies encounter at some point. When the original founders and the board of a fast-growing company with promising acceleration decide to bring in a new non-founding CEO and the impact mentorship has on supporting this transition. In today's session, we'll talk with the repeat CEO and current non-founding CEO of Okira, Nick Halsey. We also have early investor in Okira, Ethan Kurzweil, general partner of Bessemer Venture Partners, and Okira Investor, a repeat founding and non-founding CEO, Tim Eads, who is an investor out of Cyber Mentor Fund and the current CEO of The Armor. Thanks for being here, guys. Great to be here. here. Thanks, Mel. Great. Yeah. Well, let's just jump right in, and I'm going to start with you, Ethan. Well, some founding CEOs go all the way. Others transition to different roles within the company or take new opportunities elsewhere, allowing a non-founding CEO to take the wheel. Can you walk us through how these changes and management decisions work? Yeah, there's lots of different patterns for how companies get started and then how they grow up and then how they what the, how they run once they grow up. You have the mythology of sort of one founder founding a company and running the company all throughout. That happens occasionally. Um, and then you have other different patterns too. And in the case of Okara, you have the pairing of a really great outside CEO, Nick, um, with a strong technologist, Nam, and that's kind of how, how that company evolved. Um, what you want in a founding team or in a leadership team, I should say, is a couple of different skill sets uh, that complement each other well. You obviously want somebody thinking about the product and what the product's going to do and how it's going to evolve and where the market's headed so that you hope they're building the product that the market needs at the time that you have it. Uh, that's very important. That's the most important ingredient on a founding team. Then you also need, or on a leadership team, but then you also need someone who can take that, the instantiation of that and build a company around it. And again, sometimes it's the same person. Sometimes it's a couple people. Sometimes you have a commercially oriented CEO and a technology oriented other founder leader. Uh, and that's, uh, and that's one you know, pattern that we see quite often. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. In fact, if you look back at the very roots of Silicon Valley, like some of the most iconic companies, they had two founders, one who was the inward facing technologist and then the outward facing business person. Of course, Apple comes to mind, mm-hmm. you know, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak and even Oracle. Everybody thinks Larry Ellison, but the original founder, co-founder who sadly passed, Bob Miner, you know, who really ran the whole product side of the house. So if you're lucky, sometimes you get the, the pairing of the two, but like my experience has been, you get strong technology founders, and then if it starts to to achieve some escape velocity, then then a business guy like me is brought in to sort of nurture the go to market side. and And if you can get that chemistry right, then that can be a magical thing. Yeah, that's an actually a great transition, Nick, to the next question. Uh, you know, you do have a history of joining companies as a non founding CEO. During these times of growth and scale, you know, taking it a little bit to the challenge aspect of joining an organization and the disruption that that brings from an, you know, from the entire management framework top to bottom, you know, what are some of the challenges that you have experienced walking in as that non-founder CEO? 
Um, yeah, it's a great question. And there are many. And by the way, it doesn't have to be CEO. I mean, the first time I ever did this in the early 90s, I was lucky enough to join Brio Software, and there were only about 15 people and less than a million in revenue. And I joined to run sales and marketing for them. And that partnership worked out fantastically. Uh, the founding CEO stayed the CEO, Jorgen Edholm, wonderful person. And we grew that company to uh, to um, 750 employees and 170 million in revenue and had a great IPO. And, and so that was great. So, But it doesn't really matter the role, but I think the macro challenge is the technology leader will come in and have a vision and build a product and get it into market and get that initial acceptance, the chasm crossing part. And then you kind of need somebody who can come in and help you change a little bit from being product led to being market led. You've got to be responsive to the market and you know what segments are seeing value, what use cases, what are the best routes to market to serve that segment. And, how do you let that inform your product direction? In the beginning, you're inventing somebody. The only person who knows the vision is, is your technical founder, in this case, Nong, who saw the writing on the wall when he was at Cloudera and, and uh, Databricks, that in our case, you would, you would need a data authorization platform to help scale out use of uh, big data analytic infrastructure. I, I get the North Star between whether you transition a new CEO in or you or, or you don't, and you know, like Nick coming in with Nong, North Star is the same thing, which is, you know, an understanding of the problem statement, an understanding of the, of the customer and the market requirement. So that you know, it, it, you can have the understanding of the customer problem really deep from the technical side, but you also have it from the business side, and that's what makes the, the company fly. So whether you know, it's the current CEO stays it all the way through the journey uh, with a technical brand or whatever it is, but the North Star is the most important. And that's what helps the company succeed. It's interesting. There's a lot of companies. It's a good, it's a really good point because all those ingredients make are, are required to make a, a company great. Um, and you have a lot of like good tech, technical innovations. We see these all the time where they don't ever end up being big companies. They're but they solve big problems and they're hard technology to build. And that's because the it was never it was either never productized in a way that the market could buy it, or maybe it was, but the market didn't find out about it because it wasn't uh, there wasn't a go-to-market team built around it with yeah. marketing and sales and implementations and customer success and all the things that you need to be able to build a good technology business. Yeah, that's one of the, one of the hardest parts of building great companies. Sorry, Tim. Yeah, it also goes to complementary visions, right? So the technical vision, you know, I always use the phrase to the see around corners of where the market's going and how to do it, gets complemented by a Nick coming in and saying, look, this is this is the macro on top of that from a different kind of dynamic that's complementary. So you're going to have complementary visions. I mean, they can't be obviously diverse, but if they complement and they look at the market from different angles to come to the same North Star, then you can build something really special. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, Tim, I'm actually going to direct another question to you. You know, as you've had experience in this arena as both, um, you know, the non-founding CEO or, you know, leaders, as well as an investor. And you just did talk a little bit to the importance of mentorship. Um, And I want you to expand on that a little bit around how new leadership 
um, does affect, you know, an organizational structure? And what is the importance of mentoring those management frameworks to be able to bring success to the organization? Well, you know, coming in as a non-founding CEO has a bunch of challenges to do it, right? You've got to understand not just the hierarchy and the, in the, in the other parts of the team, but who has the, you know, who has the other power, right? It's like doing business in Japan. There's a hierarchical, uh, you know, in, in, in IBM back in the day, there's a hierarchical policy where in Japan, but the people who actually really understand it, who actually were the power within the community, really also understand it. So when you're coming in as a non-founding CEO, you have to understand the hierarchical teams that you, that you come in on to, to run, but also understand the community power. You know, who has the, the forces, who has the, the motivation and the, the drive and what motivates them to run through walls for you. And so building the connective tissue at different levels of the, of the organization, whether it's the sales engineer in New York who's been here for five years to do something special. Whether it's the, the, obviously you have to know your head of engineering, but who are the powers within the head of engineering that have the extra gears to go the extra mile when you've got an issue in Japan or Singapore and something's gone wrong and you can call them on a Friday night and say, sorry, your weekend's over. Um, so I think as you come in, the, the idea uh, is to understand that, right? And keep that orientation around customer problems, mark, you know, and respect, you know, get to know the customers, get to know the technical statements, get to know their direction, their technical direction, as well as their business direction. Roll that back into the different audiences internally um, and the management team can drive that framework through it. But you have to create, you know, formal and informal touch points to drive that connected tissue so that you can, you know, create the unity of command and the unity of direction of the organization. And that's really important, building that stakeholder community and that connective tissue. You know, I had a really good mentor myself who once said, it's not enough to know the right thing to do. You have to bring everybody else along with you, right? Otherwise, you're like the general who runs too far out in front of his troops and then immediately gets slaughtered by the enemy. You know, you've got to you've got to build consensus. You've got to explain that, like, if you if you're a business person dropping into what's been primarily a product organization and you say, well, we're going to do this, 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 and this, there might be not much understanding about why do you need to do that? Why do we need to do it now? Why do we need to do it at that scale? And who are you to tell us, right? I mean, we know the board hired you, but I didn't hire you, right? So you got to go build trust. You got to explain and teach and evangelize. This is why we need to do these things so we can get to these outcomes. And these are the steps and, and get everybody on board and do it together. Otherwise, you can be as right as rain all day long and it won't really matter. You won't, you won't, you'll be, you'll be dragging a very heavy <laughs> rock behind you. You know, Ethan, um, as an investor, how are you mentoring your your founders um, uh, and non-founding executives through these processes of mentorship? You know, one of the things that there's a lot of different ways to come at that, because uh, if you're a founder or, or even a non, non-founder exec like Nick, you may be have kind of a limited set of experiences that might read on, you know, what what the next steps are or how you're how the path that you're on relates to what paths other companies have trodden. So one is just give them a community, which as a venture investor, you can kind of do that because we've got a lot of portfolio companies. So we can always find a set that have tackled similar issues. And so that's part of it is just say, okay, here, 
you know, you have this transition coming or you have this, uh, you know, leadership team gap that we need to figure out how to, how to fill. I remember that at, you know, it's, you know, one of the investments I made in the past. I remember when they hired their first head of sales or transitioned something to somebody else. And so that, that's one way. Uh, the, the other way is help pull back all, because this can be both noisy, complex, a little bit lonely sometimes to be in these roles where you're taking over for somebody or you're um, having to do the process that Nick just described of um, getting buy-in from the organization uh, is to remind, try to strip away all the noise and remind remind the, you know, the person that's ultimately accountable, what are the important things? Don't worry about peanut buttering your time around to nine different initiatives or nine different functions that you could spend. But here's what's not yet working or here's what's unproven about this and needs to be proven to get to the next event horizon. Don't worry about the other stuff for now. And, uh, and that can be, uh, uh, you know, Nick should comment, but that can be kind of like simplifying for an executive coming into a situation or a founder scaling into an executive role. Uh, okay. Here's what I need to focus my time on right now. And I don't need to worry about these six other things. Well, it's exactly. And you just kind of, I mean, it's almost not, it's like a kind of a cascading mentorship is the way I was thinking about it because like Tim and Ethan do that for me. It's like, Hey, we know you're seeing all of this, but you know, here and here, you know, we, 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 we know that we can help you focus on these things. And then I can do that down to my executive team. And then they can do that down to their team. And if you can get that kind of, good communication, good transparency, there's trust, you've got to build the trust. So you can say the reassuring things as well as the challenging ones, right? That's really, you know, like, you know, I made the mistake, I'll just tell the story, Ethan, you know, like I drank the Kool-Aid, I fell in love, and I forgot about how badly COVID and some stuff were impacting us. And I was saying, oh, we're going to be able to do this and this and this. And the guys were like, Great. We love the enthusiasm, but, you know, let's tamp it down and let's stay focused and let's not try and do too much. Right. Because these are really challenging and unpredictable times. You know, when you get more proven track record, you know, then we can go ahead and turn up the gain again. And so nobody else is going to say that to me if these guys don't say it to me. So it's really important. All There's checks and balances up and down. Yeah, I mean, it's important in, in any mentorship relationship, any board relationship, any relationship like that to be just like radically transparent and be able to strip away. Here's what you should focus on and even shake people and say, look, you know, this is how you're thinking about it. Here's another view. And of course they don't have to agree with you. So sometimes there'll be discussion around that, but at least give that perspective that a a detached observer uh, or not totally detached, but a less in it observer has around, you know, like the conversation that Nick talked about before where, and Nick's over enthusiasm was, you know, leading him to, you know, come up with unrealistic targets for the business to be able to say, be able to observe that from afar and make sure we made that point to him so he could consider it. Yeah, and do that offline, right? Know what to take offline, right? Know what to take offline, know when to have an informal conversation, say, hey, let's go for a walk or let's go for a cup of coffee or something. And say, hey, you know, look at it this way. Just, you know, here's some ideas, you know, but balance it this way. Have you thought about this? And Sometimes it's like it's not challenging in a in a negative way. It's just making people think all the way through it and like look, you know looking left and looking right on decisions. And um, and if they come back and say I still want to go in this direction, that's totally fine. You know, but like hey, here's some context. 
Yeah, I've been trying to coach the team. It's like, look, this isn't a democracy. You don't get a vote on what we're going to do. So, so we're not going to do collaborative. We're going to do consultative, right? Get everybody's opinion so that the decision you make is an informed one, right? Not, I'm just going to decide and nobody is going to give me any information or we're going to decide by, you know, consensus, which doesn't usually work out uh, as well as you would like. Well, I'm curious um, to add on to onto this. You guys are talking about mentoring at every level. Are you guys also mentoring the entry level employees, the new the new members of your team that are at the lowest level that ultimately do have an impact on the success of the company? Yeah, I think you try to. I mean, down to the company culture that you grind, you drive, right? The you know, I think you have to live the values of your company culture. It's open, you know, dig deep, be kind is ours, and that shoulder to shoulder. Um, so it's hard because that hard to get that to scale, but you have to drive like this connective tissue that like we've talked about at all different levels, particularly in the COVID pandemic, so that you can't interact in the way that you used to. But I mean, having offline conversations, I have a security engineering leader that's in, in, uh, in Sydney, Australia, you know, you know, I chat with him every single week and he doesn't directly report to me. He's somewhere in my management chain. But they're just having offline. But again, the artist is trying to keep formal and informal communications at all levels. So Diana, who's actually on, on, on this, like, you know, who started up as an intern, who became an employee, is actually a superstar employee, has just come all the way through the ranks because she's, you know, nurtured and protected, but also at the same time coached and mentored. I mean, the fun thing about a startup is you can know every single person. And when the company gets big and 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 you just don't, you know, you only know the couple of levels, that that's not as much fun. I mean, when I joined because of COVID, I I I met every single employee one-on-one, right? And that was really important to build trust. And the more remote you are, and whether it's because of COVID or post-COVID, let's hope, you're just you still have distributed organizations. The further away they are, the more you have to reach out, right? Like you have to to get to the guy in Australia, Tim. I mean, that takes an act of will. There's time zones and you know all of that. So you just you have to make it a priority. There's no doubt. I mean, I'll say, you know, just for uh, I'm, I'm it's easy for me to say because I'm not the one mentoring all the uh teams that are um, that our leaders uh you know bring to bear on these problems but the companies that score highest on that dimension do tend to perform the best like the companies where there's a mentorship culture um and there's this kind of a spirit of collaboration of lifting up people's careers uh and growing people into tackling new horizons tend to have more stable teams and then that's highly correlated with more successful outcomes so you know we definitely look for that as part of our investment well, so that's um, and, and that is an interesting point, especially in this kind of time of a great resignation, where a lot of people are, you know, quitting and leaving their jobs either to other opportunities or what have you. I mean, do you have any advice to leaders out there um, around mentorship that can help nurture and stay close to the talent and keep them excited to be as part of the team and stay with the organization? So, mentorship isn't something you just do yourself. So that's an important part. You know, Tim and Ethan mentor me directly. I mentor some employees directly, but you know, you you have to build a culture, right? That says it's not only encouraged, it's rewarded and recognized if you mentor others, right? And if you build learning uh, programs, you know, into 
like we had a up and coming person on, on the team who, who wanted to move up into a, a new role. And we're like, we, we will definitely want you to do that, but, but we're going to require that you go take this class in, in uh, program management for a week to help you skill up because otherwise that job may be too challenging for you. It'll be frustrating for you. Right. And of course we want them to do the job very well because we want the company to be successful, but it wasn't like, it was about grow your skills, further your career. And then we publicly recognize them when, when they made the move. And so that, that wasn't me talking to them, but that was like, how do you create the surrounding uh, culture and, 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 and programs? Yeah. I, I think he had a really good point now on, on recognition. I think, um, well, so you got to keep things interesting, right? So we did we do a hackathon. We just did a, a hack, hackathon uh, last week, and we did the readout with tomorrow. We have the award ceremony. All the engineers that did it. Um, it was all weekend on, on a whole bunch of stuff, and they loved it. You know, they loved it because we created a culture of leaning in, trying new things, breaking glass, and and, and jumping jumping curves, right? And so, um, I think yeah, it, it, it's absolutely right. You you create a culture. You create a curious culture that's open, that's transparent, that uh, creates a shot, I call it a shoulder-to-shoulder mentality, but also keeps pushing people to learn more, right? And by learning more, keeping them interested, keep, keeping that environment going, and then recognizing when they do it is absolutely fundamental. I think recognition uh, is people work for many reasons, and money is only a small part of it. You know, survey after survey shows it's not, you know, it's, it's doing something stimulating, interesting your peers you value how they feel about you we did an exercise on on company culture and we did our vision uh, and values workshops and and we got all of the values up from the teams and that went well but i had a few people pull me aside and say you know every company does that and then they put some signs on the wall and we walk past them you know and that, and so we said well how can we actually make that like meaningful to the culture and so now every quarter when we do our company meeting, we do um, the company value awards and, and you can nominate your peers for who embodies those values. And then what you write about them and your nomination gets read out in front of everybody and we reward them and we give them a, you know, a, a prize and it just really reinforces, hey, we're standing behind those values. And so it's sometimes that stuff, it's the little stuff like that that can really uh, and make a difference. I mean, what, 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 what we tell our companies is that you have to think about your employment experience like a product. And you have to think about all the elements of whether someone might buy that product or not. Some of it may be, is your company going to be successful? That makes for a good product. But also, is your, is your employee going to have a good experience? What's the onboarding look like? What's the, what are they onboard to? And what are the growth opportunities? What are they learning both in their domain and outside of their domain? Um, because you, just like um, customers churn from products that don't meet their experience, employees churn from companies where uh, you know the product to them isn't uh, is you know, no longer relevant or no longer meets their needs or is no longer challenging them or no longer exciting. So that's like quote of the day for me to write that. Huh. Like, <laughs> it took till minute twenty six, but I got <laughs> one. Do that. That's, that's awesome. It's a very valid point, right? And if people think about it that way, you know. You also think of its parameters. You think about its values. You think about how you make it work, the experience, every part of it. And it's brilliant. Yeah. 
that's that's a, that's a really great point, Ethan. So we have a couple minutes left, and usually we enjoy ending these series on a note where you've made a mistake and you've learned from it. We're all we're all human, and everyone makes mistakes here, so we like to humanize these conversations. So directed at each one of you, why don't we go, um, Tim, Ethan, and we can close out with Nick. Would you want to tell us of a time where you did make a mistake in a time of transition, whether around nurturing talent, mentorship, or joining a company and what you learned yeah, from yeah, it? Yeah, I made, made a bunch of them, uh, truthfully. Um, and the the biggest ones reflect all the same problems. Sometimes when you come into a company, you know, you, you lose your discipline a little bit, right? You got to, you know, running a company is a discipline you know keeping focused on leaning into conversations going to do this like i was saying like understanding the community power versus the hierarchy power understand the financial plan understand the market there is a discipline that if you're not careful uh when you come in as a non-founding ceo you come into any company whatever function you it's a discipline that you you really have to think through um and the most biggest lesson from it is get somebody on the board to say, hey, I'm going to come in, stand by me, tell me where I'm looking left. So, for example, Corey on my board, I came to Buyama as a non-founding CEO. Corey on my board, I stuck to him like glue for the first like six months, maybe even year, to say, look, tell me where I'm going wrong. Tell me how I'm working with the founders. Tell me where the power is. Tell me where I'm missing. You know, um, and I, I made mistakes through it, but he was like, you know. But like riding a bike for the first time, you pick it back up, <laughs> dust the kid off, and tell him to keep pedaling. And I, I think that's the lesson of any incoming executive. Find somebody, my case as a CEO coming in, a board member, and it was really helpful. Yeah, my, mine was, um, you know, early in my career, I came in, I took over as a board of, uh, board member of a company that one of my colleagues was on, my, my mentor, actually, the person that mentored me as a VC. Um, and, um, I, I, you know, I was conscious of sort of like coming in and saying, like, I know anything, I know everything, or, you know, I've, uh, you know, I've, yeah, I, 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 I did it right in that I sort of wanted to spend time building up credibility, but I did it wrong in kind of assuming that the conclusions that he had were still the right ones for me to make. I didn't take time to sort of like figure out what, what are the right, what are the challenges now? <laughs> they were sort of a little bit dated. Right, and that I should be advising, guiding, and uh, you know, fulfilling my you know, board, um, you know, board member role of providing you know context and perspective to the to the CEO of this company with. Um, and so I think I sort of wasted the opportunity where I had done a decent job of like you know trying to build credibility and rapport, but I didn't have the right advice, and I didn't I didn't refresh that. And so during trans transition, it's like good point to step back and take stock of. And what are you actually advising them? Yeah, that's absolutely right, Ethan. And I'm going to revert back to the point I was making earlier. Like when you're building on your business plan for the company, particularly an early stage firm where you don't know a lot, you make assumptions in the planning about what's going to happen. And you have to be absolutely agile and adaptive and read the market signals and understand if it's working or not, and then adapt and make changes, right? And so this has been a particularly challenging period because the assumptions that we made at the beginning of this year about like the timing of like when COVID would ease off and business would resume more normally and when you could go visit customers and prospects in person or 
have events or conferences or any of those things that you can use to help drive your business. You know, we made a set of assumptions and they didn't prove out. I mean, things were tougher than because of Delta and all of that. I should have changed the assumptions faster and adapted more quickly. And these guys actually were like, they remind me, they're like, hey, these things have happened, but you're still got the old assumptions in there. You know, let's work together to, to adapt them to what's happening now. So, you know, helping me adjust accordingly, that's maybe the best help you can get from a mentor. Because like Ethan said earlier, you, you're semi-autonomous. They can see it one step removed with a little more objectivity. So, uh, so I think that's really important. Well, Ethan, Nick, Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. Thought this was a wonderful conversation. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your afternoon and we'll see you soon.